Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope that you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit freechapel.org forward slash OC. It's going to be awesome. But like I said, we are starting our series today on staying committed, staying committed. And I get the honor and the privilege of opening this up today. And uh, the title of my talk is Keeping Covenant, Keeping Covenant. I'm going to do some teaching on, on this thought of or this idea of covenant. What is that? We're going to go to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. And he says this, and this, and, and this, the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with your tears, with weeping, with groaning, because he has, and he has no longer regard for your offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and your wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, say covenant. Say that one more time with a little bit more gusto. I know it's a pretty intense verse. Say covenant. There you go. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? What was one God seeking? He was seeking godly offspring. Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in the spirit and let none of you be faithless to your wife of your youth. Covenant is used hundreds of times in the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Covenant is is a common theme. You're good, Q. So good at background music. So good. The mood was really set. Covenant is a theme throughout Scripture, from the Old Testament to the New. Hundreds of times we see the word covenant. In Genesis, it began with a covenant with Adam and Eve. We see a God that God made a covenant with Adam and Eve. Then we go to Noah. God made a covenant with Noah. Then we go to Abraham and God made a covenant with Abraham. Then we go all the way to Moses and God made a covenant with Moses. Then he goes to David and God made a covenant with David. And then Jesus established a new covenant. In fact, our, our biblical text, our Bible is separated into Old and New Testament, but really the word in the Greek or in the Hebrew is really the word covenant. So it's Old Covenant and New Covenant. So even the Bible that we read is separated by covenant. It's, it's, it's in the Bible. Covenant is this, a loving agreement that bind, binds people together legally. A covenant is an unchangeable, divinely imposed legal agreement between God and man. And get this, it stipulates the conditions of their relationship. If you look at the Hebrew word for covenant, you would look at derivatives of loyal, love, devotion, faithfulness. Thus, a covenant is not just, you know, a relationship between mutual acquaintances, but it's a commitment to responsibility and action. The key word is faithfulness. But too often, we take what God established as a covenant and we view it as a contract. Now there's differences between covenant and contract. A contract is between two people. A covenant is between three people. You, the other person, and God. A contract is just you and them. A covenant is three people. Between you and them and God. A contract says, I seek my will. The covenant says, we seek God's will. A contract says, you serve me. 
A covenant says we serve one another. See, we misunderstand what covenant is, but if we misunderstand what covenant is, we actually misunderstand how to relate to God and to others. We cannot miss this concept or really this idea, this principle, this law of covenant. Now, covenant is not just in marriage. In fact, I believe covenant affects all relationships in the life of a believer. Starting with our relationship with God is a covenant, whether you realize it or not. We don't like to use that language in 2021. We like to have freedom, you know? Like, and just do my thing, all right? No, if you're a believer in Jesus, guess what? You have made a covenant with God. You have joined into God's covenant. Then you are now a part of the covenant body of believers, okay? So covenant affects every relationship in your life. It's not just marriage. So if we are in covenant with God, guess what he's going to do? He's going to transform you from the inside out. And as he transforms you from the inside out, guess what also should be transformed? Our relationships. So because of our covenant with God, it will affect all other covenant relationships that we have in life. It should. It should transform our relationships. It should transform how we relate to one another, how we relate to our spouse, to our kids, to our friends, to our fellow believers, to our world. How are we in covenant with people? And the question I want to ask today, though, is how do we keep covenant? How do we keep covenant? Because in a covenant, there is stipulations that if you do this, this is the blessing. If you don't, there's no blessing. So how do we keep covenant? How do we do this? Seems a bit intimidating. Seems intense. How do we keep covenant? Number one, we have to understand this. God initiates. God initiates. Matthew 19, verse five and six. And they said, talking about the Pharisees and the scribes, therefore a man shall, or sorry, and Jesus says in response to the Pharisees and the scribes, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they are one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Divinely initiated means this, that we can never negotiate with God or change the terms of the covenant. God's covenant is not up for discussion. It's not up for debate. It's not up for legal counsel. God's covenant was initiated by God. And so what does that mean? That God determines the rules of engagement. God determines the covenant. So Jesus is talking about marriage here. They're trying to trap him. They like to trap Jesus, right? What the heck's up with these guys? Come on. Jesus, what do you say about divorce? So he talks about divorce. He does his dissertation. He says, he goes back to how the covenant was originated, didn't he? What is he doing? He's going back to God's definition. He's saying, if it's outside of this definition, it's not this. This is God's definition of this covenant. Why is this important? Because I believe sometimes when you wrestle with negotiating and changing how God's covenant with how we relate to one another, it will eventually bleed to us negotiating and changing our covenant and how God relates to us. It always starts that way. So first we maybe will change, well, God doesn't really mean that I have to forgive people who hurt me. Yeah, he does. That's actually negotiating with God's covenant. Bitterness is. Well God, well, God actually says this, that I can do this with my spouse. No, that's not what God says. But it begins with us negotiating the covenant relationship with others. Then what happens is you see this logical progression that it begins, we begin to change the rules of engagement to fit our terms on how we relate to God. Actually, in Malachi, that, 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 that verse we read in the beginning, it's actually the second thing that the prophet Malachi was addressing. 
The prophet Malachi, if you didn't know, was the last prophet before John the Baptist and then Christ walked the earth. So it was like this, right after him, there was this silent period and he warned the children of Israel. Right before that, he says, you have been unfaithful to your covenant with God. And then he addresses the problem. He says, it has stems from your mistreatment of your covenant and your marriages. You have changed the stipulations on how you relate to one another, especially in marriage. And then what that has bled into is you begin to change how you relate between God and, and, and your, you once were the chosen people, but you have been unfaithful in your covenant. And so he's beginning to diagnose the issue. Jesus was reminding everybody in the discussion about divorce, who defines the covenant? And when we negotiate these terms, it starts with our marriages but like I said, it begins to bleed into others. Marriage is used oftentimes as a imagery of our relationship with God. The Bible is so good because it gives us things that we can understand, that concepts that are way deeper than we even realize, right? So it uses a concept of marriage that we can all pretty much understand to really drive home a deeper point of how we relate to God. If you look throughout the Old Testament, oftentimes the children of Israel are talked about how they were, uh, they, they, they were unfaithful to God. They committed adultery. They were spoken of as, a, as an unfaithful spouse to God. It's talking about covenant. How about the book of Hosea? Have you ever read the book of Hosea? If you haven't and you think the Bible's boring, go read the book of Hosea. It's like a soap opera. I mean, it is awesome. It's reality TV. We all love reality TV. Some of you don't like to admit it. We all love it, all right? Read the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea was a living parable of how God relates to us and how we are unfaithful, but God is always faithful. It was a living parable. Hosea's life was literally a living parable of how God relates to people and how we are unfaithful to him in the covenant. He is not unfaithful to us. He is upholding his end of the bargain. Or how about in Ephesians chapter five, when it says, love your wife or your husband as Christ loved the church, laying down your life for one another. Oh, it's a picture of marriage and how we relate to God. So it's important that we understand this concept of covenant because it actually determines how we relate to God, how we spend time with God, how we commune with God. What are his stipulations? What are his rules of engagement? And then on beyond that, he begins to define not just our relationship with him and me, but also my relationship with others whether that's my marriage, whether that's my, 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 my siblings, whether that's my children, whether that's my fellow believers, my friends, whatever it may be, the covenant relationships are defined centrally from your covenant with God. Hebrews chapter eight says this, it says, for he finds fault with them. And he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that when I establish a new covenant, say a new covenant, with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers the day I took them by the hand out of Egypt or out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in the covenant. So I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel these days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall not teach one another the neighbor and their neighbor, each one his brother saying, know the Lord for they all shall know me from the least to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. Just as God initiated the first covenant with Adam and Eve, guess what Jesus did? He initiated a new covenant. Amen. And this new covenant is not impossible to keep like the other one was. 
It's actually written on your hearts and your minds. It's the law of God that will transform you from the inside out. Why is that important? Because it will be impossible to keep any covenant relationship in this life the way that God intends it without being transformed from the inside out first. That our relationship with God, that it was initiated by God, can transform us from our spirit to our soul to our body, that we can operate and we can relate to those around us the way that Christ has called us to in the way of the kingdom. Christ did not come just to save you from hell when you die and to get you into heaven. Christ came that he could bring heaven into your life while you live. He wants to bring the kingdom of heaven into your life while you are alive. He wants to transform every facet, every area, every fixture, every relationship. But it starts with understanding that you are in covenant now with Christ. This is not a contract. It's not a two-way street. God, if you do this, then I do that. No, God says, this is my rules of engagement. I need you to accept it or you can reject it. But I have something for you that can transform every area of your life. In order to keep covenant, you first have to know that God initiates. Number two, you have to understand, we must reciprocate. Matthew 22. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and your strength. And this is the greatest for the first commandment. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the only proper response to this new covenant that Jesus has established is this, is taking responsibility. Oh, we hate that word. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All the young adults are like, I'm out. <laughs> responsibility. Faith is taking, the is taking responsibility for your sin. It is impossible to live in faith without repentance. It's, in, it's impossible to put your faith in Jesus without admitting that you're at fault, okay? So faith is completely and wholly putting your trust in God and repentance says, I'm not putting my trust in myself. The problem is we think grace is just to save us from our sin. Well, grace is really just to save you from you. God is saying, hey, you have to take responsibility. And that's where faith says, I am no longer putting my trust in myself but in God completely. But when we are fully committed to, the, to God, heart, soul, mind, we must understand that we now don't just take responsibility for our own life. But do you see the second commandment? It says, the first commandment is love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. That means everything you take responsibility for. God, you have control of everything. The good, the bad, the ugly. Every part of my being is yours. I trust you completely. But did you see what the second part is? Now, now that you've taken responsibility for your own life and your own relationship with God, you must now take responsibility for the other relationships in your life. It says, now love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest question that there has ever been asked is, who is my neighbor? Man, you see it on the political debates. You see it on Instagram. You see it on Twitter. You gotta love your neighbor. And everyone's like, well, who's really my neighbor? That's the question we try to ask to get out of loving people, right? Well, who did he really mean, you know? We have people who are saying, my neighbor is everyone. Like we're trying to be really good Christians, right? My neighbor is everyone. But like, so at Walmart, we're so stressed, right? We're like, gotta love you because you're my neighbor. You're my neighbor. You're my neighbor. You're my, I don't even know you, but you're my neighbor. 
So you would be right to say that everyone is your neighbor, but you would also be wrong. Can I explain? God always works from the inside out, not the outside in. He works from the closest proximity to the furthest distance. So the problem is today when we talk about our neighbor is that we always try to define our neighbor as someone that we have no contact with first. We want to transform our cities, but we don't walk in transformation in our marriages. We want to transform our church, but our families are in disarray. So the problem with the church in the last maybe 25, 30 years is that we have focused so much on reaching the world that we have forgotten about being transformed here in our lives. So God always works. So is your neighbor everybody and anybody? A hundred percent. But it starts first with those in closest proximity. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's why? Because that's more difficult it's more difficult to love the person in closest proximity because you disagree. Because you actually have to talk face to face. You actually have to come to settling agreements where you've been offended. You actually have to find healing where it's uncomfortable. It starts from the closest to the most distant. Everyone loves everyone they don't know. You don't offend me. I don't even know you. It's easy to love the world. My God, we're praying for the world. Why don't you pray for your marriage? We would rather do that than to actually deal with what God is doing. But God wants to take the transformed holy, devoted person, and transformed communities. Covenant with God has singular headship, but plural leadership. Does that make sense? Every covenant you have with God is singular headship, plural leadership. Singular headship is this, that God is in control. Husbands, you are not in control. God is in control. Wife, you are not in control. God is in control. Single person, you are not in control. God is in control. Singular headship, Plural leadership. So because God is good, he says, I'm going to have you help me lead in the covenant that I am the head of and I have established. And what does leadership do? When we are called to be leaders, we don't look for who's at fault. We look to take responsibility. A leader doesn't find who's at fault. A leader always takes responsibility. We're gonna go back to the garden. You guys ready? Who got blamed? Who, who, who sinned in the garden, Adam or Eve? Who sinned? Guys, come on. This is your chance. Here we go. So one argument, you'll win. Adam or Eve, who sinned in the garden? No, no. Don't try to be like cute with it. Give me the real answer. It wasn't both. Eve. It was Eve. It's okay. Don't worry. The girls won't hate you. You still get married. It was Eve. Okay. It was Eve. It wasn't. It was Eve. Who sinned first? It's okay. Come on, guys. I'm, I'm giving you a win on the board. It was Eve. Who got blamed? Adam. Adam. You don't believe me? Read the book of Romans. He's the father of sin. I don't see a mention of Eve. I'm reading Romans. I'm like, I think it, I think it misread the story. Why was he to blame? Because he was created first as a leader 
I know this is not popular in 2021, but it is what it is. He was created first. He was the leader. Instead of taking responsibility, he blamed her and gave her the fault. Why did you eat the fruit? The woman you gave me, man. (laughs) Faulty, bro. That was her fault, bro. You know what we call that? A sin of omission. We oftentimes look who's at fault with the sin of commission, who did it. But as leaders in the covenant of God, God also holds you responsible for sins of omission. Did you allow them to do it? So in our marriages, are we allowing our spouse to live in a way that God is saying, no, 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 plural leadership. You actually need to say, that's not kingdom. Your children, you need to lead them. To not say anything is actually not to lead. You can't bury our heads in the sand. We can't just act like nothing's happening. It's called leadership. And the covenant of God requires you to be responsible for that in which you lead. If you are not married, guess what? You are responsible for your covenant relationships in church. Too often we treat church like contract. You do this for me and I'll do that. Let's see if you got it. The pastor wears skinny jeans one time and we're like, I'm out. Contract's broken. He's demonic, okay? That's not how covenant works. See, the thing is this, if we are always looking to find where am I responsible, guess what? Our relationships will be a lot healthier. We'll get healed. And in church, we're not looking to win what's at fault with this church, but how can I help this church? How can I heal this church? Covenant relationship takes responsibility. takes responsibility. So your marriage, guess what? You are responsible for your spouse. You are responsible for your kids. You are responsible for your fellow believers. You are responsible. This is not privatized, individualized spirituality. It's not just me and God and nobody else matters. No, it actually, that's not how God created it. In fact, we are the only religion that believes that this is not just individualized, privatized spirituality, but it is actually a group project that we help grow one another, we help build one another. In fact, we would say this, that when you are a part in covenant with God, you are equally in part of covenant with your fellow believers. So how do you treat those relationships? How are you managing them? How are you being, how are you taking responsibility? The The first commandment attached with a promise, guess what it is? Honor your father and mother. The first commandment that has a promise attached to it, and it says, and you'll live a long life. Well, my parents aren't saved. You honor them. It's your responsibility to show them kingdom. It's your responsibility to love them as Christ would love them. It is our responsibility to be who God has called us to be in every relationship in our life. And that starts with our covenant with Jesus. You can live in kingdom covenant with people without being married. This is a newsflash. I'm gonna talk to this section real quick. We can be in covenant with people without being married. Oh, prove that to me in scripture. I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Jesus was not married, yet he was fulfilled, yet he was whole. He he, he, He actually built healthy relationships. Marriage is not the fix to your irresponsibility. Marriage is not the fix to our our hidden sins. Marriage is not the fix to your lust. Marriage is not the fix to your relationship problems. Jesus actually was more intense about marriage than anybody else. 
Jesus is all about grace. He is. Do you know that Jesus was more strict on marriage in the book of Deuteronomy? Read Deuteronomy 24 and then read Jesus in Matthew 19 and tell me who's more intense about it. Who cares more about it? Why? Because he was the initiator of it. But Jesus was so radical about his purity. He was celibate, y'all. I'm married. I'm not celibate. Some of you may have that calling. But my point is this, that we think that marriage is the fulfillment of covenant when God says covenant begins the moment you accept me. And it's with everybody. Jesus had covenant with 12 dudes. Covenant with people around him. Jesus was in covenant without being married. Look at his disciples, many of them whom were single, they were in covenant. Look at Paul. He says, it's better to be single, yo. He's like, and you know what stipulations for marriage? It's so funny. He's like, if you burn with lust, get married, okay? That's like not encouraging. It's like, we're all, we look at it the other way, like you have to get married or you're going to hell. Like, no, God builds covenant in every relationship. God is holistic. God is kingdom. The first thing we have to do is we have to know God initiates. The second thing we have to know is we reciprocate. The third, we, third thing we need to know is we must demonstrate. We must demonstrate. Matthew 26, verse 26 says this. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after the blessing, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. He took the cup. And when he, when he had it given to them, he gave it to them saying, drink, of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the what? Of the covenant, which is poured out for many lives for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it in the new, uh, with you in my father's kingdom. The famous monk, Francis of Assisi was asked because he would send out all of his fellow monks two by two. Very biblical of him, right? Very, you know, and they would ask him, why do you send out your people two by two? Is it for protection? And he said, no, it's to show people how to love one another. He would send them in pairs so people could see how to love one another. Do you know what Jesus said? They said, he said, they will know you are my disciples by how you what? Attend church together. They will know you are my disciples by what? Posting on Instagram. <laughs> they will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. This is a group project. It's a group project. If you want to be to show people what it means to be an apprentice of Christ, a follower of Christ, a person who is attached to the teachings of Christ, to be transformed by Christ. I'm not here just for his blood. I'm not here just to get into heaven and escape hell, but I'm here to have heaven transform me while I live from the inside out in every part of my being, from my spirit, my soul, my body, to my relationships, to my friendships, to my marriages, to my kids. Every area of my life is up for grabs and say, God, I want kingdom in it. Covenant handles conflict with care. So sometimes we think covenant is you internalize everything. 
Because that's what Jesus would do, right? They offended me. I just can't talk about it. Shove it down. Dude, Jesus confronted people, yo. But he did it with care. He did it with love and he did it with grace. And he did it so much so that when they left the conversation, they're like, I'm not gonna do that again. For the most part. We have to deal with conflict with care because that's kingdom. Kingdom comes to resolutions with healing and with grace and with scripture, my God. Covenant doesn't keep a records of wrong. It is impossible to be bitter and to still live in covenant. What did Jesus do on the cross? He both equally gave and forgave. So if you are stingy and if you are bitter, we need to reevaluate our covenant with God and see, where am I off? We are called to forgive. Well, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what you did to Jesus. So the question is this, in kingdom covenant, we are called to forgive, to love. That doesn't mean we absolve, like that doesn't mean we just let people do it. There's consequences, but forgiveness, your job is to not ensue consequences. Your job is to forgive and to love and to bring in the kingdom. That's covenant. Covenant has conflict with care, doesn't keep a record of wrongs, looks to serve, not to be served. Can I ask you a question? How can we build the kingdom of God and yet simultaneously build, be building our own kingdom? You can't. So either we stop building our own kingdom and start building the kingdom of God, or it's just not gonna work. I came to serve, not to be served. Our relationships in kingdom are to serve and to build and to love. Read Romans chapter 12. Oh my Lord, this is your homework for the week. Are you ready? I didn't hear that, but you're ready, okay? You better do it. And you all have a Bible. It's called the Bible app. It's pretty cool. Romans chapter 12. It says, do not be conformed to this world. The patterns of this world will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And right before that it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice for that is your reasonable service. That's like the least you can do, he's saying, okay? After that, you can see a list of what a covenant community is gonna look like if you do this. It says, outdo one another in your hospitality. Be generous. Overcome evil by doing what? Good. That's what it means to be in covenant. This is the way of the kingdom initiated by Jesus and his disciples at the moment of the Last Supper. Jesus called the man who was about to betray him friend. He called the man who was about to deny him the rock. This is kingdom. Every covenant in scripture has an outward sign. Every covenant. Abraham's we're not gonna talk about, but it's painful for the gentleman, all right? Covenant had an outward sign. Noah's was the rainbow. We all see it. We know that was right. And Abraham, Moses had the sacrificial system. David had a kingship, but they all had outward signs of the beginning of the covenant. And they all had rituals of the renewal of the covenant. And in the New Testament or in the new covenant, guess what? So do we. The first is baptism. 
Baptism is the outward sign of the internal acceptance of a new kingdom and denying your old kingdom. And equally so, is it not just, wow, I just died to my sins and it's me and God forever. No, it's also initiation to the covenant community because that's why we do it in front of people. So when I die to myself and I accept the covenant of God and I come back out of the water, I'm not only accepting my relationship with God to everyone, but I'm also being initiated into the covenant community called the church. So that's the beginning of our covenant, but guess what the renewal is? Communion. Communion. So when we come together and we take communion like we're about to do, It doesn't just remind you of the things that God forgave you of and the things that God healed you from, but it also reminds you that he wants to do the same in your marriages, in your families, in your friendships, and in your covenant community. So guess what? If you are sitting next to someone who you are mad at because they stole your parking spot, guess what? This is your time to get healed. So this is an outward sign of our commitment, not only to God, but to one another. From our marriages, to our kids, to our church. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC.